Amen. Where there is no vision, the people perish. It's been our scripture for the past two weeks. And this morning as we finish up our series on visionary, we continue to look at our purpose, our mission, our calling, who we are and and how we're called to do what we do. You remember, you know our mission, right? To make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. That's who we are. We are disciples. We're being discipled to make disciples that go out and transform the world. That is our mission, the mission of our church. And we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about the how, our our discipleship pathway, what we call our calling, how we think is best to make disciples that make disciples, that go out and transform the world. And there's three parts to that. And uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the first part. If you'll put that up there. Next one. What was it? First one. Glorify God in worship. That's right. That we are, God is more interested in what's going on in here than what's going on out here around us. That worship is a heart response. That worship is more about the transformation that takes place inside of us and not necessarily about what songs we sing or even prayers we pray. But that what's, what people who come to worship, especially new people want to see, is people that are on fire for God, who want to glorify God in worship. That's our, our first piece of our calling is that we are called to glorify God in worship. And then last week we talked about the second part of that calling. What is it? Grow. Grow in likeness of Jesus. And we talked about how that is an ongoing journey, that we're constantly growing in likeness of Jesus. And I, and I gave you the theological term sanctification. You used it in a sentence this week? Oh, y'all failed me. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, that we are always trying to grow in likeness of Jesus. And we said that the best way that we know how to grow people is in groups. Because Jesus grew people in groups. And so we follow the master, Jesus. We follow the king. And so even in our Methodist roots, John Wesley connected smaller groups of people together so that they could grow in his likeness. That's how the Methodist movement truly began and, uh, and spread across Europe and America. That we grow best in smaller groups. In a church this size, we need smaller groups of people for accountability, uh, for pastoral care, to be connected with. That's how we grow best, is in a group. And so we encourage you, if you're not in a group, that you should be looking at some uh, one of our grow groups here at the church. We don't care what group you're in, but we want you connected in a group. And then this morning, we're looking at the third piece, uh, to give our lives in love of Jesus. That's part of who we are as a disciple, is that we are called to give our lives in love of Jesus. Now, last month, our sermon series was on stewardship. And we talked about, uh, and you were all relieved that we didn't ask you for money in that series. We talked about a stewardship of life. And part of the reason was we wanted you to really focus on what it means to be a steward. A steward is someone who is in charge of someone else's property. A steward is a manager of someone else's 
property. We said last month we're not going to ask you for money, but that we were going to ask you for money this month. And today is that day where we are going to be asking you to give money. Yes, that's part of giving our lives in love of Jesus. But we're going to ask for so much more than just money. We give our lives. That's what stewardship is. That's what our calling as disciples is, is to give our lives in love of Jesus. But I want to take a moment and, and talk about money specifically. We talked about it a little bit last month as well. But uh, one of the most famous scriptures in, in our New Testament comes from Paul when he is writing to Timothy and he talks about money. You know the passage. It says this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Scripture says that it's the love of money is the root of all evil. And it warns us that sometimes in our eagerness to be rich, many have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves. It's a graphic image, isn't it? The love of money, the root of all evil. Not money itself, but the love of money. Our love for financial gain will cause many to wander from the faith. I've seen it before. And there's wisdom in heeding the warning in this text. But have you ever thought, what's the opposite? What is the root of all good? Not the root of all evil, but what's the root of all good? Thankfully, someone was bold enough to ask Jesus that very question. And we read about it in Mark 12, 28 through 31. It's a, a great passage. It says this, one of the scribes came near and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is the first of all? And Jesus answered, the first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's called the Shema. We found it in Deuteronomy. It's right before the Ten Commandments. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If the love of money is the root of all evil, then the love of God is the root of all good. The love of God is the root of all good. And it's interesting as, as Paul is writing about this love of money being the root of all evil, that, that word root, it's a good image for us. And I like that idea, that metaphor. Think about what a root accomplishes for a plant. It, it, a couple of things. The root, it anchors the plant to the ground and, and it provides support, right? That's what a root does. A root also provides nourishment to enable the plant to grow. Paul, in writing to Timothy, he's, he's warning us. If we commit our love to money, if we anchor our lives to money, it will do nothing but nourish all kinds of evil and it can cause us to wander from the faith if we're not careful. And so that is a word for all of us. We have to be careful what we're rooted to, what we're focusing on. Trying to do good without being rooted by the love of God is extremely dangerous. It can get us in trouble. The love of money is the root of all evil, but the love of God is the root of all good. And so 
in our calling, when we talk about this giving, giving is so much more than just money, though. It is giving our very lives. Money can often, though, prevent us from giving our lives in love of Jesus. But that's that third piece of our calling. Give our lives in love of Jesus. This is why it's absolutely necessary that our lives are rooted in the love for God. We must anchor everything we do with a love for God. Not just giving our money, but everything. All of our lives must be supported and nourished by love for God. What are you anchoring your life to? And so I asked today, what, what would it look like if your life was truly rooted in love for God? And what good could God accomplish with your life? And what would it look like for you to give your life, including your money, in love of Jesus? There's a great passage, again, from Paul in Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. And, and, and we get a glimpse in this passage of what a life given in love of God looks like. It's a little bit longer passage. So as I read it, just follow along up here. And, and, and Paul writes this. He says, if then there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also, also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen. Today is Christ the King Sunday. Paul is giving us a glimpse of what this king looks like. He's giving us a glimpse of what this king's characteristics are. He is above all, but he is humble. Jesus is our example of a life given in love of God. Everything that Jesus did was directed and motivated by the love that he shared with the Father and with the Spirit. And we can see from Philippians 2 that a life given in love of Jesus, it'll be several things. First, it'll be humble. Second, it's driven to serve. Third, it's concerned with the interests of others. Fourth, it's obedient to God's plans and purposes. Fifth, it is glorifying to God the Father. These are the characteristics of a life given in love of Jesus. So take a moment and reflect on your own life. Are you humble? Are you driven to serve others? Driven to serve others. Are you concerned with only your your own interest or are you also concerned with the interest of others? Does your life reflect an obedience to God's plans and purposes? Does all that you do bring glory to God the Father? If you can't answer those questions with a resounding yes, 
then you have some room to grow. But here's the thing, that's okay. That's good. But I want you to, to think about where do I need to grow? Where am I being called to grow in giving my life? What I love about that, though, giving our lives in love of Jesus, it ensures that we understand that we are giving out of the surplus of the love that God has already poured into our lives. Do you get that? Do you understand that? We read in Romans 5, 8 this, this word, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? It means this. There was a time when you were hopelessly in debt. You weren't necessarily in financial debt. You were drowning in the debt of sin. You were hopeless. I was hopeless. You were unable to even make one payment for that debt. While you and I were in that condition, Jesus decided to give his life in love for you and me. Jesus' death and resurrection paid the debt that we owed and made it possible for us to be rescued from our sins and enter into a relationship with Jesus. Because he gave his life and love for us, we are able to enjoy all the goodness and blessings of God. So it is out of the surplus that we're able to give. So now you have the opportunity to respond to that great gift by giving your life in love of Jesus. It's important though, as, as we talk about giving, that when we give our lives in love of Jesus, it's not paying God back. We can never pay God back. This is not a debt repayment. Uh, that's impossible. There's not enough good that we can do to repay. When we give our lives in love of Jesus, we are responding to the great love that he has for us. And it is out of that love that we're called to give. I don't necessarily want us to give out of obligation, although God requires us to give out of obligation. The joy is, the transformation happens when we give because we love God, the first commandment, and second, because we love others, the second commandment. There's no other commandment better than that. And that's the calling for us, is that we have a transformed heart that loves to give because God has given so much to us. Again, I ask you, what would it look like if your life was rooted in the love for God? What good could God accomplish with your life? And what would it look like for you to give your life, including your money, in love of Jesus? As I said earlier, many times the obstacles that prevent us from witnessing the answers to these questions is money. We Americans, we get hung up on money quite a bit. Unfortunately, this world is successful at stirring up within us a love of money. And our hearts can be taken away from God. But we must intentionally seek after God. I know how difficult that can be. Therefore, we're, we've created a couple of next steps for you this morning. We are gonna do a couple of things this morning as our next steps. The first one is this. In everyone's bulletin, there is a, an estimate of giving card. Uh, if you'd pull that out at this time. Some of you have already turned, turned them in and we appreciate it. But if you'll pull out the card for just a moment. Now, for those of you who are guests this morning, this is not for you. This is for our members and for uh, 
those of you who consider this your church home, uh, for those of you who are here who are members of other churches, who are guests, some of our Henders families who are members of other churches, uh, as we talk about this commitment to our church, you're gonna be making in your mind, in your heart, this same commitment to your own church. And so I invite you to do that. For those of you who do not have a home church, you just get to sit back and relax and watch this for a moment. But as you take out the card, I'm gonna go through it step by step so you understand what we want from you. We expect all of our members to give, financially and otherwise. So at the top, uh, and some of you have never filled out an estimate of giving card before, I encourage you to do so. You don't have to. It's not a requirement, but we think it's important because how many times when you write something down, you're more committed to follow through. So at the top is where you put your name and your address and your phone and your email. And, and please, write in such a way that I can interpret who you are. If you're a doctor, hand this card to someone beside you to fill out or an attorney or you know, one of those professions that doesn't know how to write. Uh, but fill out your name. In the, in the box there in the middle, yes, I'll give joyfully to God through First UMC in 2020. So if, you, if your uh, tradition is to give weekly, then how much you're gonna give each week for 52 weeks. If you give uh, semi-monthly, twice a month, or monthly, or just a, a one-time gift, whatever you wanna do. Now this, uh, this is what you estimate to give. Um, we encourage you to fill that out because what we do is we help set our budget based on your commitments. And then at the bottom is a a little section. Again, we want to kind of see where you are and where you're headed. The first box is I, we would like to be part of the many families who tithe, give at least 10% of our income to God through the church. So if you're at least tithing, if you'd check that box, we'd encourage you to do so, so we can see where you are. If you cannot tithe at the moment, but you are committing to stepping up this year, giving more, just check that box. Or if you have never filled out a card before, and this is the first time you've done so, if you'll check that box as well. And then at the bottom, if you want information on automatic draft, if you don't write checks anymore, or if you don't carry cash and you want us to draft that in some way, we can, we have options for that as well. So here in a moment, we're going to fill that out, but not right now. If I, if I can have your attention for just a moment, I know that giving money can be a challenge for many of us. It's a challenge for for me. Each time God asks me to give, it requires my faith to grow. It's tempting for me to want to keep that money and, and keep it for myself and save it or just in case. But giving requires me to have faith that God's going to provide and will meet my needs. So that's that's the first next step. And that's that one is just for our members or those who consider this church your home. But the second next step that I have is for all of us, guests included. Here's the next step that we're going to do. We're going to have, Charlie and I are going to be up here in in a moment. After we fill out the cards, we're going to give you time to fill out those cards. We're going to bring them forward. Even if you didn't fill out a card, we would invite you to come forward. Place the cards on the altar rail. You can kneel in prayer if you want to, kind of like what we do in communion. And you can pray and and pray for God to bless them. Then we'll go back to our seat. And then we'll say a prayer of blessing over all the cards. But as you come forward, Charlie and I are going to be up here. And we're going to have $5 bills. And we're going to give you, this is step two, next step two for everyone. We're going to give everyone in here a $5 bill. But here's what you have to do with that $5 bill. You have to give it away. 
So there's many ways that you can do this. And, and here's an important part of giving away a $5 bill. You can't do it anonymously. You have to say something with it. So one thing you could do, maybe buy coffee for the person behind you and just say, hey, I got your coffee this morning and I just want you to know God loves you and I hope you have a great day. That's one thing you could do. Maybe you could combine all of your family's $5 bills and purchase donuts for local firefighters or police officers or emergency room workers and, and write a note on the box about how God loves them and thank them for their sacrifice, especially during the holiday season. That's one thing you could do. You could combine it with other money that you have as well. You could take maybe a, a, an elderly neighbor to dinner and, and share God's love with them. Maybe if you're in a, in a grow group in a Sunday school class, y'all could all go out to lunch together and take all that money and give your waiter or waitress a great tip and put a note on there or a card, uh, one of our cards that talks about our worship times and invite them to worship. Those cards are in the back. You can grab some of those on your way out as well. Now, let me tell you what a good tip is. Uh, let me tell you what a great tip is. A great tip is not 20%. A great tip is not 25%. An extravagant tip is over 30%, okay? We tracking? Don't be stingy if you do that. But there's many ways that you can give. But here's the cool thing that I want you to do. I want you to pray about where is God leading me to give this money away? Because it's an opportunity. I love this quote from uh, Bob Tuttle. He's a seminary professor that I had back in the day. He, he says this, pray for a divine opportunity because the Holy Spirit has far more invested in our ministries than we do. I like that. We're gonna be praying for the divine opportunity. That $5 and anything else you wanna do. See, we serve a God who is creative and he wants to bless us, but he invites us to partake. And we Methodists, I just have to say this, we're bad at evangelism that we're just not real good at it. So this is an opportunity for you to give and to share God's love with that. Does that make sense? So here, let me give you the instructions again. Uh, BJ's gonna play a little music here as you're filling out these cards. As we, we're gonna take a couple of minutes to let you fill out those cards and then I'm gonna close this.